Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. You doing good this morning? You're looking good. Well, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited for this morning because we have a special guest speaker with us. My friend Sonia Anderson is here. She is a ministry leader, a blogger, a mom, and an author. She recently published a book called The Covenant Story. She's here to share a little bit about the, the theme of this book, God's Unyielding Everlasting Covenant with us. Uh, with, with Revision this morning, I'm super fired up to have Sonia here. Not only is she my friend, she actually has a Revision connection. Those of you who uh, have been around for more than two years know Grant Anderson, who is our original worship pastor. He's one of the, one of the small crew of people that moved uh, with me down from Minnesota to Des Moines to get Revision started. And Sonia is Grant's mom. And so would you guys put your hands together and welcome her to the stage as she comes to, to share with us this morning. Thank you, Mike. Mike has been like a huge encouragement to me over the years, um, even writing this book. He uh, read one of my first manuscripts and gave me some really great feedback and wrote the foreword for it. And so I'm super grateful. And he's also been like just such a blessing to our family as he's ministered to us in so many ways over the years. So I'm so grateful to be here today with all of you. As we begin, I'd like to invite you to imagine something with me. Picture yourself in a garden, a garden that is dazzling and vibrant and very, very alive. (laughs) You are totally alive and completely free. You have never known pain. You have never known shame. You have never experienced a hint of evil. You are unhindered, unbroken. You are in perfect union with everything and everyone around you. Best of all, you are in perfect unity with God himself, his presence, his goodness, his person. You are known and loved by the one creator of all of this good. God gives you some instructions. Does it matter what they are? The heart of everything he tells you can be summed up in a question. Am I good and do you trust me? But maybe you know this story about the snake and the trees and the other questions. Actually, the snake might be asking the same question. It's just in a different tone. Is God good? Can you trust him? The snake confuses all the questions. Did God really say, don't you know you can be like God? Time out. 
I need to remind you of something, something important. When God created you, what did he say? In the image of God. Yes. When God created you, when God created me, he breathed his life. He imprinted his image. He saw you. He saw me. And he saw that we were very good. And nothing. No lying serpent. No forbidden fruit. No human rebellion could ever rob God of his creative brilliance. But back to the story. So, you take a bite of the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sure enough, your eyes are opened, but it isn't good, you see. It's chaos, confusion, shame, regret. Oh, what have you done? Banished from the garden. Now you know good and evil. You turn. You look back. There on a hill in the center of the garden, breathtaking and beautiful. If only you could go back to the tree of life. You walk away from the garden. Am I good and do you trust me? The question haunts. But even here, outside the garden, you realize you're still wearing this covering. The covering he made for you with some skin from an animal sacrifice. It, it covers you still. And even here, outside the garden, you know you're not alone. He hasn't left you. This is the story all of us enter. Is this your story too? Years ago, God began to show me a story within the pages of Scripture, and it wasn't at all what I would have imagined. I suppose I grew up thinking about the Bible as a book of rules or instructions for God's people. The stories were like the examples or the illustrations of how to follow God. But the more I read, the more I realized it was something else altogether. Eventually, I would tell both the Bible story and my own using the language of covenant, the covenant story. It's a story about people who could never be faithful. And it's a story about a God whose faithful love never gives up. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Before I tell you that story, let me tell you a little bit of my own story. Something happened to me 20 years ago when I was in my 30s that was beyond description 
Literally, for close to a decade, I didn't have the words to describe it. It started with a crisis. It was the fall of 2001, just a couple of weeks after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. My husband and I were with friends at a restaurant having dinner on a Friday night. We talked about the news. We talked about our work and our kids and the weather. When suddenly, there was a shift in the conversation. Our friends, who were also the small, our small group leaders at the church we were attending, needed to talk to us about something serious. Something serious concerning us. It turns out there had been some complaints by others in our small group. Some grievances about us. Saying that my husband and I were intimidating, prideful, too sure of ourselves and insensitive to the struggles of other people. We were admittedly clueless in our self-righteous pride. I heard what our friends said there in that restaurant and I was totally crushed. I was undone, weeping there in that restaurant and still crying days later in my bedroom. When I cried out and I asked God, what do you want me to do? And he answered. I could feel his presence like a hand on my shoulder. And I heard him say, stay. Day, everything in me wanted to run, wanted to hide, wanted to leave this situation, but I heard him very clearly stay and see what I'm going to do. And so I responded, okay, I'll stay. And then I added this request, but I want you to give me what I've been missing. And that was when a miracle began. At first, I was consumed by this overwhelming sense that God loved me. He was wildly in love with me. See, I had known God since childhood, and I had been truly devoted, but I had never experienced this kind of love. God cherished me. I started to think about God day and night. I would wake up in the morning feeling like I'd been with God in my sleep. And then came an almost ravenous desire to read my Bible, where once I had read it out of duty, now it became my daily obsession. I could hardly get enough. My whole life, I had struggled with pride. Our friends, the ones who saw this pride and called it out, they had seen something that was true, and they had had the courage to confront it. And later I thanked them. I struggled with pride, and not just pride, but a whole host of P's. Perfectionism, people-pleasing, performance, and so much pressure. 
But now, for the first time in my entire life, I felt like I was free. I felt like a new creation, like the scripture said. I had fallen in love with Jesus at a Bible camp when I was 12 years old. And I had been truly devoted. I trusted him for my salvation. But now, all these years later, this thing was happening to me, something that I couldn't describe, and, and I needed to understand what it was. And so I went to the Bible looking for answers. And what God gave me was a story. The Bible tells a continuous story from beginning to end, and here's what you need to know. It is a love story. It is a story about a God who never leaves his people. A God who invited people to be his partners, to rule with him, to be the bringers of goodness and love and beauty and order into his very good world. And when the people failed, God didn't. God never stopped pursuing them. Years after the garden, God would reveal himself through his name, and an explanation. We read this in, his, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, in Hebrew, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who God is. This is how God wants to be known. And this description of God would be repeated by the authors of scriptures again and again and again, reminding us, this is our God. Within that verse, there are two little words in the ESV, steadfast love. That comes from the Hebrew word hesed. And hesed is a very important little word. Found hundreds of times in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, hesed is a beautiful word that tells a story. The epic love story of God's unfailing love. Hesed is also translated loving kindness, faithful love, loyal love. Hesed is covenant love. And a covenant is a promise, but not just any promise. A covenant is a promise for life until death do us part. I will die for my covenant promise. Almost 33 years ago, I promised covenant love to my husband, Kyle. We were two kids getting married a week before Christmas. We had evergreen and twinkling lights for decorations. We had a reception in our church basement and served Christmas cookies and Swedish almond cake. Things were very simple back then. Kyle and I wrote our own vows, but we also recited the traditional promises. I, Sonia, take you, Kyle, to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. We may not have had any idea what we were doing back then, but we were making covenant vows. 25 years later, 
almost to the day, Kyle and I stood before a judge making another covenant promise. This time, we were adopting teenaged boys who are joining our family of sons. We raised our hands and we signed papers and we pledged ourselves to the love, provision, care, and protection of our new sons. Covenant promises are not to be taken lightly. Vows spoken mean lives are entangled forever until death do us part. The Bible is a covenant story. From beginning to end, we follow this promise, a promise of love that fights to the death. I wonder if you've noticed this story before. It started in the garden where everything flourished and everything was very good. But right from the beginning, things began to unravel. And when the humans rejected God's good instructions and instead chose their own version of good, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. And instead of the order and beauty and eternal life available to them inside Eden, they would live in the chaos and disorder of the world outside. According to the Bible's story, the world was full of violence and evil, and this violence and evil actually grieved God to his heart. It was more than he could bear. And so God rescued a man and his family, Noah, and he protected them with a special promise, a covenant promise. Maybe you remember the sign of this promise, the rainbow. Through this agreement, God was promising to be faithful to this family and to all humans and creatures who would repopulate the renewed earth. Turns out, being in a covenant with God is the ultimate way of being in relationship with him. After Noah, God chose a man named Abram for this special, for this special relationship. God promised to bless Abram and to make him a blessing. He promised to multiply Abram's descendants and to make him a father of a nation and to give this nation an Eden-like land. When God made these promises, he sealed the deal with this rather odd and very important ceremony requiring an animal sacrifice and blood. Through this, God was saying to Abram, if these promises are ever broken, I will shed my own blood. Several years later, God made another covenant agreement with Abram, this time changing Abraham's name, Abram's name to Abraham. An exchange of names is often a part of a covenant ceremony. When I got married, my last name changed from Eastfold to Anderson. When we adopted our boys, they changed their names too. So God said, Abram, you will be Abraham, and I will be forever known as the God of Abraham. And then God invited Abraham into a reciprocal covenant relationship. He asked Abraham to pledge himself back. And he extended the invitation not only to Abraham, but to Abraham's descendants and they agreed to become the covenant people of God. Several years later, God made another covenant with the people of Abraham's descendants, now called the Israelites. 
Fast forward to the days of Moses. By now the covenant people have multiplied, but they don't yet live in the Eden-like land that God had promised. They had been living as slaves in Egypt, and in fulfillment of God's first covenant promise to Abraham, God rescued them from their slavery and began leading them to the land of milk and honey. God gave covenant instructions to the people. We call them the Ten Commandments and the Law. The Bible actually calls it the Book of the Covenant. Again, God invited the people to make promises. There was this huge ceremony, sort of like a wedding. Vows were exchanged, and again, there was blood. And all of the people said together, we will do it. We will be faithful to the covenant and the promises. We will be faithful to God. But if you know this story, you know the people were never really faithful. Almost immediately after this covenant ceremony at Mount Sinai, the people decided they couldn't really trust God. And so, just in case, they created an idol for themselves, a golden calf. For a while, this looked like the end of the story. God threatened to wipe the people out and start over with Moses alone. But Moses stood in the gap and he reminded God of his own covenant promises and God relented. And then Moses did something else that was crazy. Moses asked if he could see God's glory. And God allowed it. We read that God revealed his glory to Moses and what Moses saw was all of God's goodness. We can hardly imagine what Moses must have seen. And then in the very next scene is where God reveals himself through his name, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's glory, his goodness, and his name are intertwined. And this is very important. <laughs> okay, fast forward again, this time to the to King David. Once again, God made a covenant promise. This time, he promised that an offspring of David's, one of David's sons, would sit on the throne of God's kingdom forever. After David died, his own son Solomon became the king. But, just like the people before him, Solomon failed to be faithful to the covenant promises in the covenant life. In fact, following Solomon, there was a hideous cycle of unfaithful people and evil kings. It's what we read about in the prophets who go so far as to describe God as a heartbroken husband and his people as a harlot bride. There's a gut-wrenching description of this found in the prophecy of Ezekiel. Sort of a parable prophecy telling the story about God rescuing an abandoned baby girl from a garbage heap. He saves her and he cares for her and he makes her his own, lavishing her with every imaginable dream come true. It's like a fairy tale story. Only this story starts with happily ever after and then it unravels to a totally tragic ending. You see, instead of living as the treasured princess, God's beloved gives herself away. She becomes the whore, and she allows herself to be abused and exploited, and she squanders all of God's good and beautiful gifts. 
The prophecy is an awful description of broken covenant, but it ends in the most unexpected way. Like an Old Testament prodigal son story, the plot twist comes in these words spoken by God to his unfaithful bride. Listen to this from Ezekiel chapter 16. You have despised the oath and breaking the covenant, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you, all that you have done, declares the Lord. Right in the middle of this most horrible story, a broken covenant, mixed into the prophet's graphic illustration, are these words of hope. The Bible story is not at all what you would expect. It is the story of the most baffling love. Hold that thought. I want to take you back for just a moment into my own story. Like I said, I grew up loving Jesus, devoted to God, and yet, for much of my life, I was a liar. I had a habit of telling little fibs to save face or to avoid trouble. I suppose I had to lie to protect all those peas. So much pressure to preserve a certain image. Thus, foolish white lies became my M.O. through my teen years and into young adulthood. I couldn't seem to break the habit, even though I really, really tried. But I was stuck. It was like those little trolls took on a life of their own. Almost without my permission, the lies would just hijack my tongue and out they'd come. I say this tongue-in-cheek, willing to admit my sin. But then one day, something totally unexpected and kind of crazy happened. Jesus blew the head off my lying snake. True story. One weekend, I was with my sister, Gina, at a Christian conference, and I told her a lie. A totally stupid, utterly unnecessary, pointless fabrication. The conference was at the Excel Center in St. Paul where the Minnesota Wild play. It was one of those big events with lots of um, music groups and speakers. And, and between sessions, people would get up from their seats and go out to buy concessions and use the bathrooms and check out all the vendors. It was during one of those breaks that my sister and I had been looking at a book display and my sister was getting bored and was ready to go back inside. I told her I wanted to stay and look around just a little bit longer. I finished what I was doing and, and knew that the session was about ready to start, so I, I started to make my way back into the auditorium. But when I got in there, <laughs> the auditorium was massive. All the seats looked exactly the same, and I had absolutely no idea where we had been sitting. This is not uncommon for me, unfortunately. 
I started walking around that auditorium, up and down the rows, looking for my sister in that massive crowd. And finally, I found her long after the speaker had already been talking for a bit. And when I sat down, my sister leaned over and she whispered to me, what took you so long? And without even thinking, I answered, I was chatting with someone I knew. Only that wasn't true. I hadn't been chatting with someone. That was a lie, and I knew it. And right there, in that auditorium, I got mad. I was just sitting there stewing. I was so mad at my lying, mad at my sin, mad at whatever devil had its grip on me. Mostly, I was mad at me. And I sat there in my auditorium chair and I prayed with desperation, God, forgive me, like I'd prayed so many times before, but this time I added a desperate request. I just want to be free. And God heard me. The last speaker on that day's agenda was a well-known woman with a memorable story about a rattlesnake. Her name was Beth. And that day, Beth told this story about going for a walk with her dogs and her husband in the woods near where they lived. As they were walking along the path, suddenly, right in front of them, a rattlesnake sprang up out of the brush. Beth's dogs started barking, and Beth started screaming, and her husband took his gun, which he just happened to have with him for an occasion like this, and he shot the head right off that snake. Beth got to this part in her story, and she leaned out, looking at this massive auditorium full of people, and I felt like she was looking straight at me. And she said, that snake was your sin. Jesus blew the head off your sin. It is dead. And in that moment, I knew that snake was my lying. That ugly, sneaky sin. Jesus blew the head off my sin. It was over. The prophet Ezekiel hinted about an everlasting prophecy, the removal of shame and some kind of atonement. I want you to hear something God said through another prophet. This time, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah's prophecy, just like Ezekiel's, was full of warnings about the broken covenant and the unfaithfulness of God's covenant people. But again, mixed with the warnings were these little hints of something unexpectedly hopeful. Check this out. Jeremiah chapter 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
They broke that covenant. Though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel in those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Jeremiah's hint was about a new covenant. But what could this mean? Fast forward one last time. The surprising twist in the Bible's story is that God was going to make the impossible possible. God would make a way for unfaithful people to re-enter the covenant life through Jesus. Jesus, on the night before he died on the cross, celebrated a special meal with his disciples called the Passover. And here is what he did. Luke chapter 22. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. A covenant is a promise of life or death. A broken covenant means blood must be shed. And God, who had said, I will shed my own blood if these promises are ever broken. God, who is merciful and gracious, God would become human and give his own life as Jesus. Through the cross, God did away with the old broken covenant and he made a way for a new one. A new covenant in Jesus' blood. This is so important. Listen, Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. We could never keep the covenant on our own. We could never be faithful people. But Jesus keeps his side of the covenant. And he keeps our side too. When God promised a new covenant through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, I will put my instructions within them. I will write them on their hearts. Years later, the Apostle Paul would write about this new covenant, a covenant now extending to all people everywhere. Abraham's blessing, just as God had promised from the start. Here's one of those passages that Paul where Paul talks about the covenant found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 This is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life Paul talks about a new covenant, not of the letter, which is to say not of the old law covenant written on stone, but a covenant written on human hearts, a covenant of the Spirit. Do you know the secret of the new covenant life? It is Jesus doing for us what we could never do for ourselves through the life of the Spirit living in us. This is the new covenant life, and it is so, so good. 
It changes the entire story. Listen to one more thing Paul said in his letter to the Romans. This is Romans chapter 6. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Is God good? And can we trust him? Listen, this is gospel good news, and it is maybe better than you ever imagined. Because of the new covenant, all of God's goodness, all of God's love, all of God's faithfulness can live in us through his spirit. This is a miracle. It is my miracle, and it is your miracle too. We could never be good on our own. We could never be faithful. The story proves it. Our lives prove it. We tried and we utterly failed. But Jesus does for us what we could never do for ourselves. This covenant story is the story of God's merciful and gracious, abounding and faithful, has said covenant love, a love that fought to the death for us. Through the cup of the new covenant, Jesus' own blood, we are consumed by a story of great love. The new covenant is true eternal life. It's the life of Eden restored. In part, here and now, this side of eternity, and someday, forever. The covenant story ends with a wedding. It's what we read about in Revelation. One day, we will be wed forever to our true covenant partner in his fully restored kingdom. And we will eat again from the tree of life. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we trust. God, I trust you. This has become my most repeated prayer. God, I trust you. I trust your love. I trust your provision. Holy Spirit, I trust you to write God's law on my heart and then help me to keep it. Jesus, I trust you to do for me what I could never do for myself. I trust you to keep your side of the covenant and to keep my side too. God, I trust you. As we close today, I'd like to pray this prayer of trust over you. Will you pray with me? God, I trust you. I trust you for every person in this room. <laughs> I trust your love for each one. God, I just pray that you would give each one here today just a glimpse of your gaze on them and your, your wild love for them and that they would see themselves as one who is cherished and beloved and lavished with this love. I pray that, that they would see that you've done for us what we could have never done for ourselves and that they would be free from that, that horrible place where we find ourselves when we're trying and trying and failing and failing because we can't do it on our own and we can't. God, I pray that you would just um, reveal to us your Holy Spirit's power in our lives to make us 
the free and holy people of God who live in this beautiful covenant relationship with you. God, we trust you. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing the last song, I'd like to leave you with this blessing. It's found in, in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. And you can read it on the screen. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.